0: The first Tuesday edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants, and it is a bad Bills loss, two in a row now against the teams that appeared in the AFC Championship game. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic and Jonah Bronstein to discuss well the state of the Bills. They are four and two heading into a game in which they're favored by 11 points, or at least that was the opening line. It might be 13 by now, uh, against the New York Jets and the Meadowlands. And guys, I think big picture, they're still in good shape. Uh, the Buffalo bills, but you know, through four games we were talking deep playoff run, Bowl contender, MVP candidate at quarterback, uh, the 2021 Head Coach of the Year Brian Dable, uh, and uh, now here after two losses against the barometers of the AFC, um, I guess w- where should uh, where should fans be in their expectations of the Bills? Super Bowl contenders, or as I'm seeing a lot of rationalization this morning on social media, hey, we're, we're competitive, we're 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 above average, and uh, cool. Forget, forget about these last two losses. We're, we're all just happy to be to be good.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, that was kind of the rationalization coming out last night, wasn't it? You know, like Sean McDermott said, well, hey, uh, we kept it close, and a lot of teams are getting blown out by this offense because they're letting up big plays over the top, uh, to which, you know, it would be prudent to say that last week that Chiefs team had lost to the Raiders team that the bills beat so there was some weird messaging coming out about how they had kept the game close and how they were in it at the end and and all this they lost by nine points it never felt close they were almost doubled in uh total yards um they had no chance seemingly all night of stopping the running game um which again they kind of brushed off as like oh yeah we kind of let them have it oh just let them have 250 yards pretty good strategy um I don't know. I, I don't. I, I think it calls into question in a serious way the upside of this team um, to have two games against the two best teams in the AFC from a year ago, the two finalists in the AFC from a year ago, and to not really look close in either game, um, to be out coached in both games, out quarterbacked in both games, um, and it, it was. Uh, yeah they're still competitive right they're still four and two they're still in first place in the division they still have a shot to win the division
0: they're going to be five and two this time next week. yeah
1: but do they have it do they have what it takes to win in january um there's a lot they have to accomplish between now and when the playoffs start to prove that to even prove it within their locker room that they can do that because sure the, the season isn't decided in october and they, they want to be playing their best football later in the year, but right now it doesn't appear they have the ingredients to make a deep run in the playoffs. They're now five and six in their last eleven games. So I don't know. It, it, you know, I guess that I guess that kind of points to what you said. Uh, this is why they don't declare the MVP in September. This is why they don't crown Coach of the Year in September. This is why teams in the NFL aren't hiring their next head coaches in September. Um, because a couple of weeks can change a lot. And especially when you're up against really good teams, Sean McDermott entering the season three and 15 against teams that made the playoffs in the season that the bills played them. I don't know which of these teams they're playing right now, or that they will play will make the playoffs, but, um, and two against really good AFC teams. Uh, you can throw the Raiders in, I guess, as an okay team, but they're going to be on the fringe of making the playoffs. Against the barometers, as you said, they they looked completely outclassed.
2: I think there's, there's an easy way to rationalize this, that it was always going to be a tough two-game stretch on the schedule against the two teams that were played for the AFC Championship last year. Originally, it was going to be maybe even tougher with that turnaround playing the two games in five days. And they're still in good position for the division, probably – better in terms of the competition with new england than anybody thought it would be earlier in the year if you're when the schedule comes out in march looking at games on the schedule you probably have the bills about four and two right now and probably don't have new england where they are and you know miami's the wild card and all that they they're actually ahead of new england in the division and some of the power rankings ahead of the bills but you know, it's pretty easy, I think, if you're a Bills fan, to say they're 4-2, and two, they lost to two good teams, and there's a lot more wins on the schedule, and this is still going to be a good season. However, if you really – if you look at the numbers, or as you guys do, you're watching the game very closely, it's disturbing the way they're losing, how poorly they're playing on defense, grasping for straws, haven't really found the answer going back several weeks, and they not running the ball. Rushing-wise, you know – Football Outsiders DVOA, they're last in the lead. There's other metrics where they're a little bit higher, but they're one of the worst teams at running the football. They're really only 4-2 and two because of how brilliantly they've played in the passing game. Josh Allen coming back to earth a little bit the last couple of weeks, you wonder, can he really carry them? And it's a season that seems to be going in the wrong direction a little bit.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, the defense, uh, one of the worst performances, there are some statistical measures you could take a look at, uh, one of the worst performances uh, in, I guess you could say, franchise history. It's the first time in Bill's history that uh, an opponent rushed for over 200 yards and, uh, you know, the Chiefs blew right past 200. uh, And also an opposing quarterback completed over 80% of his passes on 25 uh uh, on at least 25 attempts so it's not like we're going back to the 72 dolphins and larry zonka jim kick mercury morris uh, and bob greasy throwing nine times a game uh the chiefs ran for two what was the total matt
1: 245 245 And only the third highest total that the bills have given up on the ground in the Sean McDermott era is is
0: amazing. I mean, Rex Ryan had some doozies. Uh, he,
1: he, not like that For
0: being trampled a little bit, uh,
1: six times they've allowed 200 yards on the ground under Sean McDermott. You extend that number to nine. If you go to 190 yards or more in a game.
0: Wow. And then layer on top of that, a quarterback who threw 26 times, and completed 81% of his passes. Um,
1: And two touchdowns.
0: Yeah, two touchdowns. And that is, you know, that's an inability. So we're focused on the run defense, and justifiably. But the pass defense was horrible, too. I almost said a different word. I think I probably can. I don't think CTBK would care if I said horse shit. Uh, But it was uh, one sack, which was kind of a scramble sack. What's that? What's that, Jonah?
2: Well, I mean, our, one of our sponsors is a horse racing writer, so I guess maybe that's an
0: appropriate <laughs> term. That's right. He stepped, he stepped through his share of horse shit over the years. Um, and, uh, yes, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, it's Pat Mahomes, the reigning Super Bowl MVP. And the year before that, he was the league MVP. And, by the way, it did stop me in my tracks a little bit, uh, uh, Jack uh, Joe Buck, uh called pat mahomes future hall of famer pat mahomes uh which i mean if he were to get hurt tomorrow or retire or pull an andrew luck or whatever i don't know um maybe uh but i mean a
1: future a mvp
0: after what five seat four seasons
1: um this is year four isn't it and he didn't even play in one of them Right, so, so he's, let's, he's played two full seasons. This is his third.
0: Let's at least um, let him get five or six years in the NFL before we start calling him future Hall of Famer. Probably, you know, he's on track for on the game. track
1: for sure. He's um, but Hall of Fame fast talent. Yeah, but, uh, but he
2: probably he could retire tomorrow, and still I think he makes it though. He plays, played two seasons. He's done enough, think. and no, we won a Super Bowl and Super absolutely MVP not. and it would have to be like if he had to retire because he had an illness. I think he'd get in. I think he. It, would.
0: It would have to be like a Gail Sayers type or a sympathy. Like if he you know, I don't want to start getting dark, but if it's something were to happen where yeah, he, he had long term
2: COVID and he
1: could never play again.
0: Then he yeah, you're right. That's all right. I don't think yeah. so.
1: I don't think there's any shot. I don't he's think he's two seasons. Rumor. He's played two <laughs> seasons and last year he didn't even play a lot of the year because he was banged up. I mean, I know this is his fourth season, but he didn't play as a rookie. I mean, he's got he's got a ways to go. I mean he needs to play, like you said, probably five years or, or I mean something. I
2: guess you're right. Bo Jackson's not in the Hall of Fame. He probably I don't think anybody's ever, ever made the Hall of Bo Fame Jackson.
1: only playing two seasons, even though he has an MVP and a um I, I mean by that measure wouldn't Dante Culpepper be a Hall of Famer if he would have just called it quits after those couple of good years with the Vikings, you know. It's but like, they didn't win the didn't, championship. They didn't win a Super Bowl, but yeah. like, you know, there have been good seasons, I guess, that um he'll be a Hall of Famer, most likely. That's a good bet but um, not a declarative statement probably to make in the year 2020. But to your point, Tim, this is a a really annoying argument to me coming out of this game is that, uh, you know, and it started, you know, the, the Bills started spinning, spinning this yarn immediately in their post-game news conferences of, well, you got to pick your poison and we let them have it. And then even some analytics people out there and um, some people who, you know, pretend to be smarter than, than others say, well, That's the way you beat the Chiefs. You let them run. Uh, Let them run all over you so that they don't, you know, throw the ball. But here's the problem with that. The Chiefs never needed to throw the ball last night because they didn't even put up any fight against the the running game. And when they did need to throw the ball, almost every time they were coming up with the play they needed. On third and 12, at the end of the game, they get a 37-yard completion. Uh, They get two touchdowns to Travis Kelsey. Uh, Like, basically what the Bills did was limit Tyreek Hill. They didn't really limit Patrick Mahomes. They were patting themselves on the back about taking away the Chiefs' strength. He completed 80% of his passes. They didn't 8. take away Travis Kelsey. 8.7 yards per attempt, five catches for 65 yards and two touchdowns for Travis Kelsey, you know, 169 total yards for Clyde Edwards, helaire like they never had to throw the ball. So you didn't really take it away. And even when they did throw it, they were, they did pretty well. So it's like, there's nothing to really pat yourself on the back for. Uh, Yeah. Oh, we only let up, you know, 26 points. Everybody else lets up 30 or 40. Oh, well, great. Like you still lost by two scores. It was, I don't know. It's like, it's, it was just the weird rationalizing that came from the locker room that I think is most disturbing to sit there and say, Oh, you know, like that was part of the strategy, letting them have something on the ground 245 yards. You just let them have 245 yards. That's the other thing. Patrick Mahomes ran for 32 as well. So the one thing they did well was slow down Tyreek Hill. They shut him out of the game. You know, great job. You know, pat yourself on the back for that. But man, if that's if that's the bar, if that's the the standard that you're trying to set, like good luck in January. I mean, you know, what are you going to do against Russell Wilson in a few weeks? What are you going to do against Ben Roethlisberger? I mean, you know, it's just a weird um, message to to come out of the game with for a team that has supposed to you know be raising the bar and talking about this is this is the year they make the run and they're going to win the division and host home playoff games and um contend with the best and be championship caliber not just playoff caliber like oh championship caliber teams don't let up 245 yards on the the ground that easily with as little resistance as the bills did last night
0: i think uh there's another stat i want to mention you talked about um you know, letting Pat Mahomes uh, convert those long third downs. I had this in the Instagram column because uh, I'd looked it up prior to the game. It had been a problem. So the Bills go into the into the game on Monday night having allowed 51% third down conversions, um, which was third worst in the NFL. So that sounds really bad because it is bad. But on third and 11 or longer, the Bills also had given up 50% conversions on third down so you know that number is supposed to get a lot smaller the the uh the further it it takes for the the opponent to have to travel on third down to to move the chains and of course last night kansas city has two such situations where um pat mahomes need to needs to convert a third and 11 or longer and they got them both so now the bills are four of set four of six no five of seven I'm sorry. All right, let me start again. Five of eight uh, on third down and 11 and longer. Quarterbacks in these situations have completed seven of their eight attempts for 124 yards, no turnovers, no sacks. So third and long, dial up these third and longs. It allows your defense to tee off. It allows you to go after the big play. Whatever it is that Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott have decided to do on third and long is not working sag back play a little uh prevent defense uh guard the chains you know play to the sticks type thing it's not working disastrous and on those uh on the first time that uh, the bills gave up that third and long it allowed the chiefs to get out of deep in their own territory travis kelsey fumbles uh right before halftime and gives the bills a chance to to try the 52-yard field goal but had they stopped them Uh, On that third down deep in chiefs chair territory, the chiefs have to punt the bills have a legitimate chance to drive and put points on the board before halftime. And then the other time that happened when Byron Pringle, of all people picks up 37 yards uh, to convert a third and long, uh, the chiefs uh, kick a field goal. So it's um, I know we're going all over the place here with things to point a finger at, but it's uh, you have your kicker missing uh, field goals. Uh, the defense isn't getting it done. The offense can't stay on the field. 15 plays in the second half, and I know I got some pushback on that saying, well, how, how are the Bills going to score if the Chiefs have the ball the whole time? Well, I'll tell you how. Each team gets the same number of possessions. Um,
1: Convert some first downs.
0: Yeah, stay on the field. Um, right. give your defense a chance to catch its breath. Uh, don't, yeah, don't three and out. Don't, uh, you know, it's, uh, don't throw an interception on the second play of, uh, of the possession when you need to drive. It's, it's, uh, it's a collective effort. Yes. This is what complimentary football is all about and they're failing in all three phases.
1: And it, there's a significant amount, I think that you can lay at the feet of coaching here. Um, to your point on third and longs, the whole thing against the Titans was too many third and shorts. That's why the pass rush can't get it going. Your stat points out that third and long, they can't get it going either. Also before the game, they scratch Harrison Phillips and Trent Murphy. Um, Not, not future hall of famers mind you, but um, pretty good run defenders on a day when it was raining. If you're Andy Reid at 3 o'clock and you see Tom Pelissero's tweet, yeah, no Trent Murphy, no Harrison Phillips. Looks, pretty, uh, looks like it's going to be wet out there. And he just runs all over them. Um, it, it tipped their hand in a big way, only to bring in Brian Cox and Justin Zimmer. Uh, there's so many layers to that decision. Number one, just being, why are you doing that? Why are you tipping your hand so blatantly at your defensive game plan, number one? Number two, why are you taking out players who really aren't that bad? Um, they're good run defenders, not great pass rushers. And number three, wh- why, I mean, why do you have Trent Murphy on your team? Why are you paying him so much? Why'd you draft Harrison Phillips in the third round if against the best team in the conference in your most important game, you can't have them in the game? I mean, weird, weird decision. And then at the end of the game, Sean McDermott doesn't go for two. Um, and after was just exacerbated by the question, like oh, <laughs> I don't have a crystal ball. It's like no, but you do have, a, or you should have, a sheet that tells you the math in every situation. That is the
0: crystal ball. Is that the, is the the, that that shows the percentages in all these situations? And when time is left, I mean, somebody in the in the press box or on on the sideline with you has the sheet that has it down to pretty much the second. They As have to Dennis what the Locke score is how much left.
1: They have an analytics staff. Why? If you're not going to go for two there, why do you have your analytics staff? Oh, because like then you get the ball back. You you mentioned Josh Allen's interception on that that final drive, which it wasn't great, obviously. I mean, you don't want to throw an interception in that situation, but when you're down nine with under two minutes to go,
0: yeah,
1: at that point you're, you know, in desperation mode. Um, if you're down eight with two minutes ago, we've seen Josh Allen come through in that situation many times. So Sean McDermott basically took his team out of the game with that one. Yeah. So the only case in which it's pretty good, I guess, to have the extra point is if you think you can keep the chiefs off the scoreboard entirely, and then you get the ball back and you're, you know, a seven points, you know, wins it for you, but you really think you're going to keep the chiefs off the scoreboard, the way you've been playing defense. It's just, I, Top to bottom, coaching, offense, defense, special teams, it's week after week now, two weeks in a row, that all three phases plus coaching have been, um, you know, underwhelming, uninspiring, as our friend Jerry Sullivan would say.
0: You know, Andy Reid, the biggest criticism for him is that he is a poor game manager, that he's got all this talent and he calls a great game and he knows offenses, obviously, uh, and that has helped him overcome uh, his inability to manage or maximize game management situations—you know—that's his knock. I mean, I don't need to get into that, but
1: he certainly John made him proud.
0: He outmanaged the Bills last night. I mean, the Bills just poor management, like you said. Um, reminiscent, really, of when when uh, Sean McDermott didn't uh, go for two, uh, raising the white flag. Uh, similar to against the Colts in the snow overtime game, when he chose to punt late in the game, he was playing for a tie. When a tie eliminated them from the playoffs, and they got lucky, they got stone lucky on some on a late pass from who wasn't in, even in the game at that point. I can't even Joe remember. Webb. Joe Webb, right? Because you know Peterman had been knocked out of the game. Uh, just you know, Lashawn McCoy with an unlikely run um, and saves them.
1: And um, I don't think he knew that a, a tie eliminated them. And and you well, know what else annoys me? We've written me?
0: about it before uh, in which Eric Wood says he got in a shouting match with Sean McDermott on the sideline saying, we can't punt here. A tie uh, eliminates and, and McDermott says, don't you think I, or whatever it was. And it was like, it was kind of like a, a moment where it's like, you, we got to do something. We got to try something here. Uh, but
1: the big problem is that he's very much a, and it's funny because what did he talk about when he got hired and, and all throughout his early years was the process, right? You know, process, um, over results is kind of the phrase, um, and, you know, trust in the process, but he's very much been a guy who when things go wrong or when things, or when there's a decision that he doesn't make that's right, or that's controversial, if it ends up okay, if the result is okay, he considers the process to be sound like that punt. That was the wrong decision. It was was a monumentally bad decision, a colossal screw-up. But they won the game anyways. So he thought it worked out. You know, good process. Not really. Bad process, good result. You know, same goes for, you know, oh, well, it was a good good game plan last night because we kept it close. We didn't get blown out. Like, not really. Like, you kind of did get blown out. I mean, yeah, it's weird. The Titans game felt like the scoreboard you know reflected a little bit too much right that maybe the bills were closer to the titans than the score last night it felt like the score nine points it felt like 90 at times the way they were playing and they had two you know another element of coaching two late hits out of bounds that handed the bills three points on one series you know the guys lost their composure oh uncharacteristic at what point does it become characteristic because this team is playing undisciplined all over the field especially on defense.
0: I thought the Tredavius White call was uh, borderline. Yes, he did shove the guy. It wasn't a hit, it was a shove. It was late for sure, but I didn't think it was it rose to level. Those are the those get officials let that type of thing go all the time. So, it was borderline. He shouldn't have done it. He he got dinged for it. Jordan Boyer one was, there was no, I mean, that was a no doubt uh, unsportsmanlike or unnecessary roughness. The, the whistle had blown. The guy was out of bounds. He just picks him up and slams him to the turf. Yeah. That's um, the frustrations are clearly showing on the defense and their inability to stop anybody.
2: Well, I was going to say both frustration fouls. I think you're both in both cases, you're seeing a team that was losing the physicality battle throughout the game up front. And these secondary guys get their opportunity to really be physical and take it a little too far, maybe to overcompensate for the fact that they were getting pushed around all game long.
1: what you guys think of that Stefan Diggs penalty toward the end of the game, too? Sort of walking back to the line of scrimmage. It seemed uh, like he didn't
2: know the rules or the situation. Like, like it he seemed like the clock was running. It seemed I'm, like he
1: was kind of like, F this, like,
0: well, I, th- you know, I thought uh, that was another one where I was willing to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because, and I went, meant to go back and look a little closer to see what kind of routes he'd been running prior to that. If he's been running fly patterns or if he's going 30 yards down the field, a handful of plays in a row, he's out of gas and he needs, you know, he, he may, he may have just been need, looking for a break and thinking he could take an opportunity there to catch his breath. So He didn't look tired, though. He looked – watching it live, he looked like he it didn't looked careless. that they were in hurry-up, like,
2: oh, oh, we need to rush. I didn't realize.
0: You're right, Jonah. I, I think it looked careless, but I didn't want to fault him for that or make a point of that in my column because I'm writing it right after the game and I didn't have a chance. I meant to go back and look later and I, I forgot to do it. But, yeah, you're right. Um, you, to bring that up, I think that that's, a, that's another possible lapse of judgment late in the game you know, you're tired, even if you are tired, those are the times when you train for this stuff, right? This is why you get conditioned and you're so that way think clearly when you're fatigued uh, and the good teams have an ability to do that. That goes down to that's mental discipline. It's not Maybe just frustration. Know. It's about being able to think clearly when you're, when you're, when your tank's on empty, he might not have
2: known the timeout situation. Maybe he thought they called timeout or otherwise stopped the clock and he should know. But I think, you know, sometimes, simple mistake to happen, but as Matt has said, there's a lot of these little mistakes that you say, oh, that's uncharacteristic of a Sean McDermott coach team or these Bills, and then when you make them week after week on both sides of the ball, good players, backup players, not that they're being coached to make mistakes, but it's like with Rex Ryan when he was saying they had a lot of penalties and we don't coach them to take penalties. we we got to coach them to not take penalties. So they, they really need to clean that up because now it is becoming characteristic.
0: Uh, One point I wanted to make uh, Jay Glazer in the pregame show also brought it up. We mentioned it, I think uh, on, on the show Friday. And I said it kind of flippantly, but people who were upset that the bills did not have a proper week or week and a half or what have you of preparation for the Titans game uh, by saying, well, they were working on two game plans at the same time. I think I made the comment of something like, well, if that's the case, if you really believe that they were distracted by two different game plans, then they had a head start on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and Jay Glazer made that one of his points before the game. And Jay Glazer doesn't just, well, he's not used to, or you're, he's not, a, you don't, you're not accustomed to Jay, having Jay Glazer say things off the top of his head. The guy is super plugged in. He usually is talking to people. And when he has an opinion, it's informed based on the people that he has. You know, he's got a lot of resources and uh, you know, contacts within the league. Um, that, he, uh, that he can rely on. And he made the point to say the Bills had an advantage heading into the game because they had extra time to get ready for the Chiefs. Um, so I don't know why I'm, if I'm throwing that out there or if I'm just saying it. but um,
2: Especially from the original schedule, which would have been a short week. They probably have been looking ahead to this Chiefs game for several weeks knowing that they needed to make up time. Teams do that, for sure. they had, obviously, way more time to prepare this game plan than they would have originally.
1: Well, I would also say, you know, the whole Jay Glazer report, I think the coaches were probably, you know, dotting the I's on the uh, Chiefs game plan just in case. I don't think they were doing much on-field work with the Chiefs. That would seem to be a lapse in judgment. But I will also just say, if they don't have – a rough thumbnail sketch for how they want to attack the chiefs in the off season, you know, especially with the amount of time that um, extra time, I, you know, people had this summer with, with everything that was going on. You're not doing your job as, as Sean McDermott. And there was this idea that like, you know, Jay Glazer had that report and people were like, man, if they go two and zero in these games, just hand Sean McDermott coach of the year. Now it's like, as if he's some genius for preparing for the chiefs, they won the Super Bowl. They're the team to beat in the AFC. He's coached against Andy Reid before. Um, he should know Patrick Mahomes pretty well, even though they haven't played. He made that excuse last night too. Oh, let's remember, this is our first time playing against this offense. If you're any sort of, if you think you're any sort of contender in the AFC, then over the summer, you're thinking about ways to stop the Chiefs. You should be building your team to beat the Chiefs because. You don't get to the Super Bowl without going through them. So or let me
0: take it a step further and say, all right, well, then what was the excuse about the Titans? Because that's the third year in a row you faced that offense with that coaching staff, uh, not the quarterback, because Marcus Mariota was the quarterback uh, last year when the Bills beat him. But that, all right, so shouldn't, so, all right, so they shocked you because you've never seen Patrick Mahomes and uh, had no idea that. <laughs> Well, what about facing these other guys uh, over and over and over again?
1: It's weird the amount of excuses that seem to come out after games, like subtle. And yet they,
0: they, then they'll say, but we're not making excuses. They'll throw them all out there for us to maybe talk about and to give them a pass, but yet they're not, we're not making any excuses, but.
1: Sean McDermott cannot help himself from making excuses other than to say, I'm not making excuses, but I'm just throwing, throwing this out there. Um, and that's what he did with the pass rush last week. It's what he did multiple times last night. Didn't even really make an excuse for the uh, two point conversion, other than he can't tell the future. Um, there was then, no
0: excuse. In fact, there was no explanation. It was this is what we do, and I can't that, tell the future. Our business, and you. And you he, laugh. he laughed.
1: He laughed. He scoffed at the question because it. it it's just a it felt like such a a loser's mentality before, during, and after the game. We're just going to try to keep it close and get lucky. Like, and to your point, like, oh, you know, this is the first time we've ever seen Patrick Mahomes. Like, you've got video. Like, you've seen him play. You know Andy Reid as well as anybody. Like, that excuse is so weak. And you're not trying to be a team that just gets to the playoffs. And And if you are, then... I don't know. It's the point I made when they signed Sean McDermott to an extension is that, yeah, great. He's done a fine job in his first three years, but he hasn't proven that he's in the top third of the league in NFL head coaches. I know after four weeks, everybody wanted to crown them. But until you prove that you can beat the best teams in your conference, you're not going to get beyond a certain point. And like I said, the season's not decided in October. Maybe they use this to to be better in December. In January, but I mean, he got out coached by Bill O'Brien in the wild card game. Bill O'Brien's unemployed and a laughing stock of a coach around the league. Everybody loves to make fun of Bill O'Brien. Um, he got out coached by Andy Reid. He got out coached by Mike Vrabel the last you know two weeks. It's just, and then the excuses just start to trickle out for a guy that's like, we focus on controlling what we can control and this and that. Well, why do the excuses keep slipping in? You know, it's a, it's a weird. He did it even before the season with like, oh, you know, complaining about the fans in the stands before backing off it. And, oh, we're going to control what we can control. It's a um, weird amount well, they, of justification and, and excuse making.
2: They wanted fans in the stands for this game. You could tell from the way the messaging came out from certain players, not really the team itself, but you could tell that they really felt like they were at a disadvantage, maybe not at a disadvantage, but they, they needed the fans to, to have an advantage in this game.
1: And they weren't happy with the whole Titans situation, the game, you know, the league kind of keeping it up in the air and all that. If that type of stuff is entering your thinking, um, then you're going to be a team that is either not prepared or not correcting your mistakes to the full extent that you can because you're brushing them off as, oh, we, we let them run for 245 yards. Well, maybe like re examine that strategy, um, you know, and, you know, the Titans weren't sitting there saying, man, we haven't been in our facility for two weeks and we don't know when this game's going to be played. They just came out and rolled over the bills. Like I I just, I think that's the most disturbing part. If you're a bills fan of the last two weeks is just the, the unreadiness of the team to handle the best competition and to handle, you know, a little bit of a weird circumstance and just not rise to the occasion. Really nobody individually or collectively.
0: What did I we like about what we saw last night?
1: I don't, was there anything good? He made a couple. Plays. Yeah. Justin Zimmer did <laughs> make a few quiet. plays. Got I mean, they took away Tyreek Hill. Like, and that seemed to be part of their game plan. You know, they, they did, they were in the game. Um, you know, they did hang around for whatever that's worth. Um, I thought it was Josh Allen's worst game of the season. And he looked like the 2019 version of Josh Allen, um, with the accuracy and the kind of franticness in the pocket. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much there was to like overall, uh, the offense was terrible. Uh, the kicker wasn't good. Corey think, was good.
0: Uh... What about yeah? Bohorquez was good. He's actually been punting well. Uh, we didn't get a good look, at least on television, sure. about the uh, the snap or the uh, placement on the field goal. He the replays have shown that he's had a tendency to leave the laces towards the kicker on a couple of ki- on a couple of uh, tries. Tyler Bass. Um, I didn't we, we didn't get to see a replay of that last night, but uh, Bohorquez is punting the ball exceptionally well. Uh, in fact, I started thinking I wonder if it's time to have Matt Barkley start holding on the, uh, on the field goals or something like that, but that's considered counterproductive during practice uh, because you want Matt Barkley with the offense and not hanging out with the kickers, which is why the punter in the NFL is the ubiquitous holder um, as it's uh, it used to be. Some teams used to use a safety, the Steelers, Chuck Noll used to use a safety, the backup quarterback, a receiver, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. Anyways. um, but you're right. Uh, what? So Josh Allen, it, was it – obviously you could say, well, the rain was a problem, but certainly wasn't a problem for Pat Mahomes and his receivers uh, completing 81% of the passes. Is it maybe something like it's getting in his head that he's got up against a great quarterback and he wants to do really well today and it, that gets in his head? Uh, is it the fact – I mean, I don't know, but he – He clearly was not the same quarterback on Monday than he was through the first four weeks of the season.
1: Yeah. They just missed on a few plays that maybe would have gotten him settled in early on. Uh, But a couple of bad misses on the first drive. Um, You know, I, I think there is a big element of going up against Patrick Mahomes and the, just the magnitude of the game, even though the crowd, you know, there was no crowd, uh, the stadium was empty and all that. It did feel like to some extent he was, it, the moment was a little bit too big. And we've seen that whether they're going up against a top-notch uh, defense or a top-notch team. Tim, you wrote about how he plays against um, the best competition and the best quarterbacks. It's not great. Uh, and I think there is an element that he gets a little over-amped and when things don't go well early in the game, he has a hard time, you know, getting it together. Um, so, I don't know, it's, it's troubling. I think at some point he was going to regress to the mean a little bit. He wasn't going to throw for 404 touchdowns every week. But this is two different weeks with two different game plans from the Titans and Chiefs. The Chiefs brought a ton of blitzes, um, which the Titans didn't really do. And so it's two different ways that teams have beaten him. It's not as if there's this one blueprint out there that teams will copy. It's, you know, they can pick from a couple of different ones. And I think that's probably the more concerning part long-term.
0: Um, real, real quick, I just it was interesting to hear Terry Bradshaw's uh, comments regarding Josh Allen at halftime uh, last night on the Fox broadcast. And Terry Bradshaw and Troy Aikman was critical also during the broadcast in which Terry Bradshaw said at halftime, Uh, You're either accurate or you're not, and Josh Allen's just not accurate. And he didn't mean just tonight. He meant in general. Um, And uh, I saw some pushback on social media from somebody saying, oh, this coming from Terry Bradshaw, who has a career 52% completion percentage. Let's first off, hang on a second. The NFL 40 years ago was a totally different game. Uh, The West Coast offense didn't even exist hardly. Uh, the game hadn't been revolutionized when Terry Bradshaw was taking the Steelers to four, straight, uh, to four Super Bowl victories, not, not all in a row, but um, you didn't have downfield uh, contact was allowed by defensive backs. The five yard Chuck rule didn't exist. Um, all the different things in which the rules were rewritten to make the NFL more of a passing league didn't exist. So, you know, tight ends did not play like they do today. You weren't dumping the ball off to your fullbacks and your tailbacks on short, uh, short distance throws. I mean, when a quarterback threw in the seventies, he threw like it was going downfield. And you take a look at Joe Namath's uh, touchdown to interception ratio or his completion pers- or Johnny Unitas um, comparing today <laughs> Comparing Josh Allen's completion percentage to Terry Bradshaw's is about as informative as comparing Josh Allen's completion percentage to Shaquille O'Neal's free throw shooting. It's
1: totally different sport. Well, there's also this, uh, Tim, like, what does Terry Bradshaw's completion percentage have to do with his point? If he were an, let's say Terry Bradshaw, let's take it on its, on its surface. He's not an inaccurate, he is an inaccurate quarterback. Well, wouldn't he know better than anybody? that you can't figure it out because he never did. I mean, to deflect to Terry Bradshaw in that instance, when the guy played in the league and played the position and maybe had some struggles with accuracy of his own, same with Troy Aikman, like, oh, yeah, stupid argument because this guy sucks. Well, no, like, he played in the league, like, and he's up there. He's I'm not saying he makes all good points, but that's not a way to counter the argument.
0: Josh Allen's completion percentage right now is better than Johnny Unitas's. So, but I don't think that you should say that Josh Allen is a more accurate passer than Johnny Unitas.
1: Well, I don't think you should say it at all because what was your completion percentage?
0: <laughs> My completion percentage was believe it. or All right. I don't want to get in. I don't I hate to go down to glory days and do all that stuff. I had a, I, I threw, I think about 10 passes in high school Uh no, I threw probably six or seven passes in high school. All but two of them were touchdowns one in completion because I was a gadget receiver. And we would, when we play a non-conference team, because in the conference, everybody knew it. And when we played a non-conference team, it was always the first play of the game. And it was like, all right, we're starting off uh, usually a, with a six, nothing lead because we couldn't kick our extra points either. So um
1: So you're an authority on completion. I am. I, I I have corrected.
0: I can, I can speak more to this than Terry Bradshaw (laughs) um, and Bob Greasy. Um, Anyways, um, before we get to, uh, before we close it out here, and I want to bring in Jonah on uh, what's going on with the colleges here. I just want to uh, remind everybody that uh, TGAF is brought to you by shampoo, Travis and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Uh, CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400 716-630-2400 for CTBK over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Um, some news uh, over the weekend regarding uh, the SUNY system and its decision to cancel winter sports uh, for uh, the Division three schools in the SUNY system. But uh, how do you, Jonah, think this affects uh UB or or any schools or maybe even trickles down into high school decisions? Well, I
2: don't think it's going to have a big effect on UB or any of the other Division I schools in Western New York or New York State. They're more beholden to the conferences they play in, to the NCAA, especially with basketball, to the NCAA tournament. And I, I feel like all 350-something NCAA Division I teams are going to play this year as long as there is a you know, a tournament that teams are playing for, and that whole revenue share that comes along with that. However, with the SUNYAC, which is schools like Buff State, Fredonia, uh, Brockport, Geneseo, Cortland, where a lot of Western New York athletes go to play, it's not all of the Division Three schools in Western New York or New York State, but it's the SUNYAC system. And from what I understand, this decision came from the SUNY chancellor. It has a lot to do, I think, with budgetary at the cost of travel and testing. The athletes, and if they were to come back and play in January when a lot of schools aren't starting their second semester as early as they normally would. So, you're talking about housing athletes over the break. It just seemed to be something that the state didn't have an appetite for. Now, the state hasn't made specific guidelines yet on winter sports. The only thing they've done is move the start of the season back to November 30th. And that didn't even really come from the governor's office, that came from the New York State High School Association. There's still uncertainty when exactly the winter sports season is going to start for high schools and what of these indoor sports will be allowed to play or will they only be allowed to practice or will there be limitations that won't allow basketball or wrestling or hockey. Some of these sports might not be allowed to be played. It really had, they haven't been given the green light yet like some of the other ones were and what I think, I because I think they're different silos. I think the decision for the Suniac Division three schools is being made independently of the high schools. But what it shows is that there are maybe more concerns for some of these indoor sports in the winter than there were for the outdoor sports in the fall that were allowed to be played. And everything that got canceled or postponed in the spring in the fall was moved to the spring. As far as we know now, the Sunyak basketball and winter sports is just straight canceled like last spring. It's not being moved to a different part of the year, which is what I thought was strange because you're talking about a winter season that wasn't supposed to start for another two to three months and it got canceled. So why, why not wait a little while to see if the situation's more feasible then? And, and clearly they looked at it, they looked at the numbers and decided that's not going to be the case. And I don't know if the same decision going to be made in regards to high school sports but it's maybe a bad omen for high school sports this winter.
0: Do you think this could affect facilities? Because a lot of the high school, especially when it comes to the postseason, will use the, the SUNY facilities. But I mean the schools are still I mean, in session, it, but it could, but, but I'm trying think to see how there might be some sort by of By that point it's March. I don't think that'll be a big
2: problem. It might change some venues. You might see some things that used to be played at Buff State, played somewhere else, They could be played at high schools or whatnot. But I do – my opinion, which I guess none of us really know and, and the people making these decisions might not know, my opinion is by March we'll be in a better situation with testing and virus level and things like that. So where maybe having the sectionals at Buff State is easier to do at the end of the season than the beginning of the season. But we also might have a season where – regardless of the level basketball is played and fans aren't allowed so maybe the sectionals won't have spectators and it won't matter where they have it
0: well and um, uh, before we wrap up here jonah any um any updates regarding ub and its uh, covid protocols or how the mid-american conference or i guess even around any of the big four schools as we as well ub did have with football but basketball just right around the corner
2: UB did have a cluster of cases a week before they started officially practicing. I think it was 19 players. Uh, and when we talked to Lance Leipold last week, it hasn't as far as my knowledge come out specifically who these players are, but it's affecting them in multiple position groups with the contact tracing and getting people back as of. So when we talked to Lance Leipold middle last week, they don't have everybody back and aren't really practicing as a full team quite yet. Maybe they've gotten to that point this week, but They opened their season on ESPN2 the night after election night against Northern Illinois in one of the Buffalo's biggest games of the season. Their only cross-divisional game. And as far as the MAC and UB, just like the rest of college football, they seem to be plowing ahead. There will be games canceled and games postponed. We've seen it. I think more than 10% of the games that were scheduled to be played already have been unable to be played on their original dates. I think you'll see that more and more with all levels. But it does seem like the season progresses, regardless of how many cases, how many players, how many coaches test positive. As we've seen with the NFL, it just seems like they'll move forward and and deal with them case by case, outbreak by outbreak, rather than just ending the season or pushing it to the spring. Because what I think what's happening, you're seeing now, is there might not be spring football. You're seeing more and more of these lower level teams that aren't playing now, saying we're also not going to play in the spring and the Mac was going to have a spring league. Now they're not. So I don't know if we're really going to see much college football this spring. I do think you'll see it maybe at division three, but maybe we won't because now we're seeing division three teams not playing in the winter. Maybe they won't be playing in the fall, in the spring either.
0: Jonah Bronstein, nobody covers college sports better than Jonah. And uh, so thanks for that update. I I was very curious as to uh, the trickle down effect to the SUNY, you Know at the lower level and how that might affect. Things. Well, let me
2: ask you got a very important. I'm always yep. curious in this so you got your son plays high school basketball or played last year, might continue. He would to like play. to play high
0: school basketball sure. if they have it this year, yeah.
2: So, how do you as a parent feel about that? Should they be playing? How safe is it? Because a lot of the parents I talk to are more on the side of we want to play, the state is not letting us play, is not letting our kids do what they love doing. And yeah, I think you got a lot of that sentiment from the UB athletes and really all of the college athletes.
0: This may be a cop out, but I think I'm okay either way. I think for peace of mind, uh, if they don't have it, I'm okay with it. And it kind of gets me off the hook. You know, Um, it's similar to the feeling I had if uh, back, you know, 10 years ago, or well, my son's 14. So let's say 14 years ago, and I wondered, is my son going to want to play football? Do I, what do I think with everything with CTE and, uh, you know, the head injuries and the way the game is, is handled? Uh, do I want him to play? If he wanted to play, it would have, then I would have crossed that bridge when I came to it. He just never really took a, uh, he loves football, but he never had any interest in playing. He's a baseball, basketball kid. Uh, so we never had to worry about it. But I always wondered, you know, if it ever gets to that point. So he let me off the hook by not wanting to play. Um, same thing with basketball right now. If they decide that they're going to play, and with everything that's been going on with the Williamsville schools and uh, how extra careful they've been and trying to reset their rollout or their relaunch, um, I'd like to think that they have the kids' best interest and in safety in mind and that it would be okay. Um, so, yeah. I think so that that's a, it's, it's a cop-out, I guess. Uh, I don't have, so I don't have an opinion on it. And I think whichever way it goes, I'm going to let, I'm just going to probably. It's kind do. of how we
2: are with everything though. If the grocery store is open, I guess it's safe to go to the grocery store. The movie yeah. theater is not. I guess that's not safe. With all the
0: safety protocols that I'm sure will be in place. I'm cool with it. Uh, same thing with baseball. We played summer baseball. Uh, there were safety protocols at the, at the fields. You know, I coached uh, this this fall because I was able to with no travel and, um everybody was okay there was no reported um cases nobody ever heard of anything in the amherst youth uh, baseball uh, league the lou gehrig league there so yeah well so I, I think i'd be okay with it um i would be obviously concerned but uh i know that matt needs to get going uh for uh, some bills uh, interviews uh, and i'm you gonna a second check in call on
2: with uh jeffrey Tubin.
0: Yeah, well, I'm going to I'm going to make sure from now on that I am all, my that little white light is not on uh, when I do the things that I do in the privacy of my own home. Um, and I will hope hope to avoid a Jeffrey Tubin incident. Uh, so for Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Consolidated, for Matthew Fairburn of the Athletic, I am Tim Graham of the Athletic. This has been another episode of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. CPAs and business consultants.